0: This defense now looks like the best unit Georgia's had since the Rose Bowl year. I think Bennett's been improving, but to me, the defense now is clearly something special. Georgia's been good for a while. They have not had something special like this uh, in a few years.
1: The dogs posted a 44-21 blowout win versus Tennessee on Saturday at Sanford Stadium and now have won four in a row versus the Vols. With a 3-0 start to the season, Georgia is in the exact position that Kirby and us fans were hoping for. But now the season kicks into high gear with the first visit to Tuscaloosa in 13 years, which will take place this coming Saturday versus number two and also undefeated Alabama. Hey there, my name is Scott Duvall, and you're listening to episode 247 of the and Since Last Saturday podcast. This is the post game show of the Georgia-Tennessee game, and I'm joined remotely by my two co-hosts, Will Leach and Tony Waller. Hope you all enjoyed the game as much as we did. We have our thoughts and observations about it all and are ready to just jump on into it. So here's Will to get it all started.
0: I think for the third consecutive week, there has been much gnashing of teeth and much screaming at some point in the first half or halftime, and then I totally pretended like I knew all along that this blowout was how it was going to go. 44-21, Georgia wipes out Tennessee with a second-half defensive performance that felt to me, for the first time since that season, I thought, oh, this is a little bit like the 17 defense. <laughs> this actually looks like the 17 defense. A true awesome defensive performance in a week. Where the SEC was not exactly overflowing, uh, was not, had a bountiful harvest of defensive performances. Tony, uh, what do you think of seeing that uh, in, in real time, in person?
2: The narrative has been that we are, um, I don't know, not a great first-half team. But other than a long pass play and a, a kind of drive and a missed snap, I mean, the, the game easily could have been 24-14 or 28-7 at the end of the first quarter. Um, the reality is, is like Georgia's defense was um, was pretty impressive. But the offense got their legs under in the second half in a way um, that I, I just felt like, man, it is it's hard for me to imagine this team playing much better because we're, we're seeing exactly what we wanted out of Malkin with the offense, being creative. Yeah, Tennessee had some stuff for us. They're pretty, looks like they are a more physical team than Auburn. But, you cannot be disappointed in the way the defense played or other than a couple of bad snaps um, in probably one bad decision they got away with by Bennett um, with offense.
1: Yeah, so the way I look at that game is, you know, if you think about it, Georgia was down to Arkansas two weeks ago at halftime. And I was a bit more concerned when we were down to Arkansas because as a team, we looked pretty out of sorts. You're kind of like playing your first game after – six months of layoff and not really practicing much and no spring practice. But with the Tennessee game, even after that horrible second play where Trey Hill looked like he was doing a punt snap instead of a snap to Stetson Bennett as a quarterback snap, I I wasn't that concerned. Uh, Maybe it was because of what I had seen versus Auburn and I just kind of figured they'd get around to it. Now, do I like the slow starts? No, but I I wasn't really concerned even with Garantano hitting those two uh, easy weird pass plays uh even that last one that danielson uh, couldn't even call correctly because he thought that he was out of bounds and it gave me false hope before one of my sons was like no he was in bounds and he actually saw it over danielson but that's another discussion for another day but all in all i was pleased with the way they dominated in the second half it's kind of what i expected because it's tennessee they haven't been relevant or good in 20 years so uh yeah, I think we can get into the more of the details later in this uh, episode. But uh, all in all, a uh, 23-point win going away. They could have put on more if uh, Milton hadn't fumbled late and uh, it would have been in the 50s. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty positive on, uh, on my feelings of uh, enthusiasm for the way that the Georgia-Tennessee game went.
0: You know, I felt Tennessee showed some actual kind of gumption in the first half in a way that I didn't necessarily see from Auburn. And so... What was I found most impressive about about what Georgia kind of did, this was, you know, we talked in the pregame about how Tennessee, this was their game. Like this was their, they were fired up for this. They've won eight in a row. This is what they're wanting. This is what's all going to happen. And then they get this, the most incredible start you could possibly want. Then they get punched and then they punch back and it feels like it felt like, Tennessee had to be incredibly happy with how things were going midway through the second quarter and then Georgia just stopped it. <laughs> and for me that is, uh, A, it speaks a little bit to kind of just how far Tennessee is uh, from where I think they want to be and where they kind of imagined they would be. But also, I mean, listen, you know, we've watched this Georgia team the last two or three years and we'll get, we'll, we'll have plenty to talk about in the pregame show, but we've watched this Georgia team the last two or three years since the breakthrough year. And the team has always been good, and the team has always had like stuff that's worked. But it's you've never really felt, in my opinion, that you've had a, oh, no one's scoring on our defense right now, or no one can stop our offense right now. It has not felt like the defense where... The the old solid verbal joke about, like, all the kids are being let out of class at 1 o'clock back when there was school. Uh, all the kids are being let out of class at 1 o'clock, and everything is really running and all going great. Uh, that defense looked like it was falling from the sky. This defense now looks like the best unit Georgia's had since the Rose Bowl year. Uh, and uh, I think Bennett's been improving, but to me, the defense now is s- clearly something special.
2: Georgia has been good for a while. They have not had something special like this uh, in a few years. Again, as I noted in kind of my opener here, it's like the narrative of this game is uh, Georgia struggled to put away Tennessee until the third quarter. Look, the reality is it's like here here's Tennessee's drive chart in the first half. Touchdown on a fumble. Three plays, seven yards, punt. Eight plays, 20 yards, punt. Six plays, 18 yards, punt. One play, 36 yards, touchdown. Then six plays. The only sustained drive they had, I guess, until the last drive of the game, was that six-play, 67-yard drive. And let's be clear about kind of what spurred that. that they got 15 of the – like, their second biggest play in that drive was George Pickens squirting Garantano with a water bottle. Um, and, like, I'm not taking anything away from what Tennessee accomplished in that drive because that, that touchdown pass – It was a well-designed play. I mean, we just looked lost in coverage. But the reality is, is when you get down to starting to look at, you know, kind of the the stats at um, the halftime stats, it's like it's not even close. Georgia had 19 minutes of possession, had 225 yards to Tennessee's 143. They had, you know, 19 yards of rushing on 11 attempts. Georgia was dominating them, period, in that first half. And save... I mean, it did feel different because of what happened at the end with the two plays inside the one. It also felt different because Georgia gave them a gift touchdown uh, to start the game. But uh, this game, it never... Like, you know, we were exchanging texts, and it never felt to me, even at halftime, Kristen was freaking out. Clay was moderately concerned. Clay's our friend I was sitting with. Um, but the reality was, I was never concerned. We did, This felt like a game that... Could, if it started raining then, it would not surprise me in the least if Georgia wins this game 27-21 and it just be a, like, we look at that game like, wow, we're 27-21 the ask with them, right? Because there never was a point in that game where I felt like, one, the defense wasn't going to just kind of keep making their life miserable. But secondly, in the second half, we just, monkin dialed up some plays that just left them totally befuddled. And, I will, I think you're right. I think this is, this is uh, frankly, I think this defensive unit right now looks better than the one in 2017, certainly at this point in the season. And f- you know, frankly, I think um, we'll worry about this uh, Tuesday when we'll record for the game next week, but it's hard to say that there is an uh, there is a single unit in the SEC that's better than Georgia's defense, period. Full stop. No caveats. That doesn't mean anything in a week, or it doesn't mean anything whatever, but if, if the focus is on... Georgia's first half mess ups. I just think you're looking at the wrong thing with with what this team is.
1: And you go back and think that that attempt, that in the moment, when he went for fourth down on our own, what, 35 or 38-yard line, in the moment, I was with Kirby. I was like, put him away. Put him away. Hindsight, that's the the one moment that gave Tennessee life, uh, almost kind of like false hope, really. And I'm hoping that, I, that he wouldn't try that again. I think that he was just trying to prove a point. You know, Maybe it was because of Pru- the Pruitt factor. Maybe it's the Cheney factor, you know, just wanting to go ahead and dominate because George was starting to get his sea legs under him uh, when they failed at that. But I have no problem with him going for it, fourth and one on the goal line, kind of like what Kirby said, that he had made that decision 20 years ago, basically when he was coming up in his coaching tree. I fully support him in that. But my favorite player of the game was Ojalari. I mean, he ate Wanye Morris's lunch all day long. He established that ferocious defense early and often with those two sacks that he got. And then everybody else was able to kind of reap the benefits of it, uh, even with. Um, Monty Rice's strip sack, fumble, touchdown, awesome play uh, towards the fourth quarter. So what I did, uh, what's the German phrase? Schadenfreude? Schadenfreude? Schadenfreude. Yes, exactly. I should know that because I took German in college. But um, I decided to listen to Tennessee Sports Talk uh, radio late (laughs) last night. The interesting thing that I found out on it was that they're very down on Cheney. They're very down on Will Friend, and they're very down on Jarrett Garantano, whom they refer to as J.G., and I kind of figured that out. They don't call him Jarrett or Garantano. They call him J.G. They're also very worried that because of COVID and everybody's getting another year of eligibility, they're worried that fifth-year senior Jarrett Garantano is going to come back for next year. They're (laughs) very concerned about how Pruitt is going to handle that conversation because he didn't put any backup quarterbacks in, And then finally, they're also worried about Pruitt's curious contract extension that he got at the beginning of the year, because when he was hired, Fulmer said that his job will be judged on how he does against Georgia, Florida, and Alabama. And
0: thus far, he's 0-7 versus all of those teams. (laughs) If you're wondering how tough it is to coach in the SEC, you win eight games in a row for a team that's been incredibly disappointing for a long time. You actually have a pretty solid first half where everything goes wonderful for you, and then a, thing, and then a really good Georgia team that is years ahead of you in the rebuilding process uh, stops you in the second half. And it's like, how do we give this guy an extension? His offensive coordinator is terrible. Why, I hope the quarterback
2: doesn't come back. It's a tough league, man. Well, I mean, it's also, it's also very Tennessee.
0: Well, I, is it very Tennessee to... Again, I I don't want to be, you know, uh, um, a face mask cop, but man, uh, it is very strange to see literally every part of that man's head covered except for the parts that
2: breathe. Well, (laughs) I mean, I think it's... it's I think it's fair to say I think Pruitt misunderstands how it's transmitted. I think he thinks it goes in through the hair or through bald heads, and maybe I should be more careful. I don't strange. know. Um, it's very strange. Yeah, I just think it's-, it's just an odd interpretation of how that
0: works. Like I don't know where he usually breathes. <laughs> it was like I listen. I will understand a coach getting fired up in the game, like and not and not for getting yelling and not having the mask off. I get it. It's the heat of the thing. I understand that. It definitely feels weird to start out that way, <laughs> to start out with like basically your little bonnet.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it and felt and a little yeah, bit like he thought he was fishing in a professional fishing tournament this weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was, he's gonna be on the lake all day. Gotta keep, you know, gotta wear that gator to keep the, the sun off your neck um, and your head. <laughs> right.
1: This episode of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast is brought to you by the Northside and West Side Bottle Shop in Athens, Georgia. I spoke with Sachin Patel about the new Northside Athens location, and here's what he had to say. What's up? This is Scott again. I am at the Northside Bottle Shop, the one that you've heard about on the past episodes. And I really can't tell you how impressive the wall and wall. It's like walls just going forever. A beer in this bottle shop. I mean, there are cans that I've never seen before, award-winning brews, IPAs. uh, And so Sachin's going to help explain why this is kind of a destination place to come and get your beer, whether it's single selection or six-pack or 12-pack.
3: So yeah, we we really have also prided ourselves in our selection of you know across the board on all spirits and uh, fermented items and one of them of course being beer and with the explosion of craft beer you've got i don't know 54 production breweries in Georgia right. alone right uh, we've got five breweries just here in Athens alone now um, and so we we 've always we 've gone after those and really taken pride in supporting those local breweries, but also you know showcasing their skill set. Mm-hmm. The reality is every brewery 's got its own flavor profile. And so whether you're the IPA drinker, whether you're just sucking down those sours that drink almost like dum-dum suckers, (laughs) (laughs) um, we've got them. And, you know, we rotate through them. We keep them fresh. We also make sure that if you are not committed to buying the six-pack, you can build your own six-pack with our Signal Door collection.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, so if y'all are looking for beer, maybe a unique beer, maybe one of the local breweries here in Athens— Northside Bottle Shop has them all, and you're probably going to want to bring your iPhone because it literally is picture worthy in here. Thanks a lot, Sachin. Thank you. And now
0: back to the podcast. So, uh, what did you gonna think? You know, well, we definitely want to tell this to the pregame show, but what did you think of? Uh, do you feel like uh, we saw with the defense? said? Do you feel like the offense has. Um, do you feel like that is taken the step forward that you'd like to see it step, uh, take uh, particularly against a team that scored every single, t- a touchdown, every single time they touched the ball, obviously they had defensive issues, but they did not have offensive issues. And so you're going to, no matter how good the defense is, you're going to have to score some points against Alabama. How did you feel about the, how the offense moved forward in game three of the Bennett three era?
2: Well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I'm not nervous about this coming weekend, but I mean, I think to this point, look, there, there are certain things about the offense. I, I trust uh, the first is, I and until I see it differently, I see I trust Stetson Bennett to keep his head on his shoulders, and I'm going to make him sound like a game manager here, but just just make smart plays, um, and whether that be um, whether that be throwing the ball, running the ball, or you know just like avoiding too much trouble. Like like the only time he was sacked was uh, when it was just a basically a blindside bum rush where the offensive line just collapsed. Um, I, I could I could quibble with him trying to bat the ball away. If you're going to bat the ball, don't bat back into the field of play. Bat it out of the back of the end zone so you get a safety. But you know that's we quibble about that. There's no doubt that Kiers Jackson has emerged as a receiving threat. Um, uh, pour some out for Trey McKitty. Meow. Uh, he got a couple of big catches in that game. I ended up sitting at 300 levels. First time I've sat up that high in a while. In the perspective, I mean. The thing that's been said about Munkin's offense since he's got since since like the second end of the second quarter of the Arkansas game is like almost every play at least one receiver is open and there is nothing about what I saw. I mean, look, we're not seeing plays where Bennett is panic running because he has to or because nothing's there, and we're not seeing plays where he's throwing the ball away. Um, there is almost always a receiver he can make a play to. Um, that is a substantial improvement over the Coley offense. Um, but I think your question remains open. Well, is that going to be enough? I I don't, I mean, again, I don't want to get into an Alabama pregame here, but I would be surprised. Look, if, if Alabama scores such a every time they touch the ball, we just lose that ball game. The trick is, of course, is making himself for Phil Golds or whatever. I don't know yet whether we have the offense to do that, but I like the direction it's headed because we are a better offense than we were last year, even though there's no doubt that the quarterback is not the same quarterback.
1: Yeah, Tony, I was about to say that to start off what I was going to say, what you just finished with. The the offense is better than last year, and I like our quarterback situation better than last year. Stetson was 16-27, 238 yards, kind of pedestrian looking the way you'd look at it from stats, but with two touchdown passes and the fact that he can get to the corner. You can see why they spilled so much ink. In Rose Bowl practice about him being Baker Mayfield. I used to think that was kind of a cute little attaboy type thing, but it's legit. I mean, that second run that he made uh, towards the touchdown, where he goes in towards the line, then bounces it out like a running back. And you're like, how is this guy that fast? And how is he outrunning this linebacker? Probably a four-star, well, maybe it's Tennessee, probably a three-star linebacker that he's outrunning to the corner. So that gives me a lot of confidence because it adds that extra dimension that we didn't really have with Jake Fromm last year. And if George Pickens can just get it together for one game and then have Jackson complimenting him on the other side, and I mean just focused. That's all I need him to do is just focus. Um, I'm worried about Alabama's offense because I watched that game last night, but you'd think that maybe George's defense can cut those opportunities in half to where maybe they're scoring 28 or 32 points instead of 63.
0: Well, gents, uh, we have. I feel like our show on Tuesday when we tape may have to be four hours. It feels <laughs> like uh, I'm not quite entirely ready for a uh, for another Alabama game. It feels like it feels it feels weird. Like Alabama games are always like for like massive. Like they always feel like pivot moments and. Uh, it feels weird to have one in the middle of a pandemic, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, but we'll see what happens. Um, but uh, I I can't wait to talk to you guys on Tuesday because it feels like there's so many things to kind of break down in that game that I almost don't want to overdo it <sighs> today. I agree, <laughs> just because we have we have so so much to discuss uh, in that. But yeah, it does feel. I will say that Florida game looks a little less daunting uh, right now. Um, uh, after that yesterday uh, I also would say that Mullen did not necessarily acquit himself great after the game by saying it was because there were so many fans which is why he lost to Texas a and and how please have 80,000 fans there uh, last thing on this the, uh, I have a question for you Tony before we go this what you were at, you were the only one that's been at either game or both games? Did you see anything different in this game, either student section or otherwise? It was a it was an afternoon game rather than a night game. I'm curious what the experience was. I know some people were having fun. I was getting drunk tweeted uh, drunk tweeted by Robert Wolf very late last <laughs> night. Said he was gonna he, he was so drunk he was gonna come uh, steal my Biden Harris lion sign, uh, which, which he did not. I can confirm he did not do that. Um, but uh, so certainly people were out and having a good time. But I'm curious uh, uh, what, what did it look like inside. Because uh, we're not going to the game for another almost month and a half.
2: Yeah, so I think it was um, – it looked to me like whether it was through uh, Broom's efforts, through Josh's efforts, uh, or whether that was because the, the cameras weren't down there, there were fewer people congregating in the front. I did notice the Spike Squad, um, they were spread out a little more on that front row, um, and students were spread out more. I saw exactly the same enforcement in the stands. We had a couple of uh, places where um, it looked like students had snuck up and thought they were going to be able to put six together kind of up close to us, and they they made them all spread out. Um, Again, like the only time it felt crowded to me was leaving the game. Uh, The rest of the time, we never were piled up on people, and it was even less noticeable. The the, the only time in the entire game I noticed piped-in noise was – like a a point in the third quarter where it was obvious there was sound coming through, like just background crowd sound coming through the speakers. That was the only time I noticed. Um, And there were times where it, it was clear the crowd, crowd noise or whatever it was, was causing Tennessee problems. And that is, I, I can see where Dan Mullins wants to blame the crowd because it's not Dodd Grant's problem. But um, the, the, yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because there is some stuff we got to talk about in the SEC, guys. There's some stuff we got to talk about. Um, pour some out for Sam Pittman. The officials got that bad and wrong. Um, and Florida losing to AM. I'm, uh, I am, we could still lose to Florida. I'm not putting that of out course, in, the, in, in the world. But I mean, I couldn't think of a better time for Jimbo to get that signature win uh, than against Florida. And that was uh, that was pretty cool. Also, that Big Twelve matchup in Oxford last night.
0: Oh boy! Uh, I have to say, uh, Kiffin was calling a very fun game. There was an option in there. There was just it was just like really, really fun to watch. Like you knew Mississippi was going to lose that game, but it was just an absolute blast to watch. Like Lane Kiffin, my friend Will Haraway, um, who lives in Atlanta, is a diehard Ole Miss fan. Uh, yeah, I went with him to the game a few years ago. He said, this is the mo- like Lane was born to coach at Mississippi. Yes. <laughs> he truly God believes is. like this is like this is the place he was meant to be, where you can just he can just be Lane Kiffin. He can be Lane Kiffin, and no one will no one will bother him and let him just be Lane. And that, to me, was an ultimate awesome Lane Kiffin game last night. just just like they were not winning that game. They're not good enough to win that game, but it was super, super fun to watch.
2: You know, the, the funny part about that is uh, we were watching that game last night, and Kristen's like, imagine how good Lane Kiffin would be if he didn't do cocaine. I was like, maybe that's the strength of his power. You yeah, just don't know. Um, yeah. I was yeah. like, it's not, you haven't paid much attention to Lane Kiffin if that's he's what you saying. He's starting think. to look a little
0: bit more cocaine-y now, though. That's the part that concerns me a little bit. He's starting to look yeah, up, he's, he, he's starting to Yeah, it's starting to worry that, like, in the past, when you were young and the Raiders coach, you could do that because you were, like, 28. After a while, you kind of can't do it anymore. Your
2: body's going to start rebelling against you. Yeah, he does kind of have that uh, late 40s record exec, hadn't had a hit in a while. Kinda yeah, kind of <laughs> got that
0: Will Arnett look uh, of late <laughs> lately, right? Um, I love Will Arnett, but it's just, you know, he's yeah. not Job anymore, you know? Yeah, he's um, not Job. Um, but hey, who among us is? Um, anyway, all right, well, I'm very excited to see you guys on Tuesday because we have so much, so much to discuss. It's Georgia-Alabama week every and i I am already uh, preparing my stim winder to start the podcast next week because it does feel not just an issue of Alabama football or uh, Georgia football, but the history of this podcast every Alabama game feels like a big deal and and we it feels like a a, a flag in this in the sand one way or the other so Be prepared. And everyone get a lot of sleep this week, by the way, because that's an 8 o'clock game and it's going to be over at 12.30 or 1 o'clock, and so uh, uh, stretch it out. And also, early voting this week. Everybody vote for whoever your candidates are. Everyone get out and early vote, so it makes election day easier
2: for everyone. Look, we circled this game when it was what, September 26th? A year and a half ago? (laughs) And while I'm super pumped I'm not getting to go, um, I... you're, You're right, Will. It... It's Alabama week, and every time we played out – this is the first time we've played them in the regular season since 15. That was a bellwether game, and not just – I mean, certainly in the history of George football, but in the history of this podcast, right? Um, and it will be uh, it will be fun to talk about, uh, but let's not forget, Tennessee has now fallen in the ranks of Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech of being 3-9 and nine for the last 12 versus Georgia. Uh, welcome back.
1: Welcome and I'd like to, to end play. it on a quote. I would like to quote Phil Fulmer, who on signing day in 2020
0: stated, "The Vols are back." End quote. Mm -hmm. As 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 uh, might say, just nine tenths of the way there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There you go. We couldn't we couldn't go we couldn't go away without one more. Um, All right, everyone. I'll see you guys uh, uh, Tuesday night. Uh, But otherwise, uh, go dogs. Go dogs.
1: And thanks so much for listening. Our big Georgia versus Alabama preview show should be out sometime Wednesday. So make sure you're subscribed via Apple Podcasts so you can get an immediate notification when the episode is published. Also, please give us a follow on social media. Our Instagram and Twitter handle is at WSLS podcasts. The dogs are three and zero headed to T town for a two versus three matchup of unbeatens. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you on campus. And as always go dogs.